Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Second Quarter Mastermind. I know we're in the third, but we always do it in arrears, if you will, looking back at the last quarter. And with me today, as always, is Manish Kataria and Adam Lawrence to run through what we think our best picks are uh, looking forward in the financial market. So welcome, Manish. Welcome, Adam. Manish, how what, what is going on in the financial markets at the moment? It's, it seems to be a bit of a storm. Do you want to give us kind of your, your two cents? Yeah, well... It's going pretty well, actually. The stock markets have had a great year so far. You know, the US market is is off to the races and the UK market's kind of lagging behind. But really, the US market's been powered by tech, but well, also powered by seven stocks, isn't it, at the moment? Or well, eight? Yeah. It, well, tech is certainly dominating. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's some big movers, NVIDIA and you know, Apple, Amazon, the usual suspects are doing really well. But actually, it's a bit broader as well. So, you know, there are other sectors. So retail's doing well this year so far. Consumer-related stocks are doing quite well, and they're picking up. So there are signs of it broadening out as well. So it's not just tech. You know, materials are up on the year. Consumer discretionary is up, what, 30 40% this year already. Tech is obviously, you know, by far the standout powered by AI and things like that. But there are signs of it broadening out as well, which is a good sign. Okay. And what's happening in the UK? Well, the U- well, remember the UK actually did quite well last year. So it was an outperformer last year, right, when the US wasn't looking so hot. So the UK did well. It was actually up on the year last year. It's also up this year, but only by a small amount. So, you know, whereas last year there was, you know, the inflation beneficiaries like energy and miners we're doing quite well. This time around, I think there's been a rotation. There's been a rotation into the sort of growthy tech sectors. So, you know, in investment terms, there's been a rotation away from value into growth, yeah. which has which has led to the US outperforming the UK. So, you know, it's always good to have a diversified portfolio because, you know, last year the UK did better than the US and this year the US is doing better than the UK. Sure. And Adam, do you think that, sort of transition from value into growth is justified right now? You know what? I'm a value investor at heart, Rob. That's the problem. Um, I guess it's similar to a conversation we were just having off air, wasn't it, in terms of development versus investment in a way. Um, I can see why people are, are concerned about yield at the moment because ultimately inflation is ravaging it so much and this whole wage price spiral has got to stop somewhere. So I can understand why it's being done, but it, historically... I'm a big fan of reading articles that say values underperformed over five years, values underperformed over 10 years, because values outperformed for 150 years, right? And it is the long-term trend answer. So when value gets cheap, I like to buy it. I'm against the trend on that one as a rule. Um, But this is the the only true bit of passive investment we really do, Rod, I think, to be honest. Well, let's just hope you live to 150. So look, guys, looking back over some of our previous picks, Adam, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I know it was only three months ago. 
but US regional banks, you're, they took another dive since then, but they've come up a bit now. It's about where, where it was three months ago. Are you still kind of bullish on that? I think I, I wouldn't necessarily change my position. I'd rather blame the timing of the podcast, to be honest, Rod. But um, I think it's one of those things, isn't it? Right idea, how long will it take to execute? That's that's always the problem with these sorts of plays. But I, I'm not I'm not unhappy with it. I mean, there's been some noises around consolidation and kind of what, what I've based my logic on. Um, I guess it, it takes a bit of time. And uh, I suppose going back to what you just said to manage about the, you know, a number of, a very small number of very big companies dominating the performance of a sector. Um, let's see how it plays out. But I'm still sort of where I am, where I was on it, to be honest. Did you buy in a bit more when it dipped again? Of course, of course, always. And Manish, your pick three months ago was XLK, which again was a fi- US financial services, I think. Uh, no, US tech. Sorry, US tech. And, and that's obviously done really well over a very short space of time. Are you... Are you holding on to that or would you be looking to get out of based on I, the gains you've made? I, I mean, I look, in, in reality, I, I own one of the biggest companies personally, which is Microsoft. So I'm a long-term holder of that. But for our purposes, I would probably be taking money off the table because tech, in fact, the, the first six months of this year has seen the biggest move up in the NASDAQ in over history. So the NASDAQ is up 40% in the first six months. It's been the strongest first half ever. So I think probably nothing wrong with it. I just think it's done a bit too much too fast. And I'd probably be inclined to take some money off the table here. So, you know, for our purposes, I'll I'll come out of that. I'm sure we'll discuss our next quarter's picks in a minute. But yeah, I'd probably take a little bit of money off the table for that. But for my personal portfolio, I'm still a long-term holder of Microsoft. Yeah, I'm in a similar position with um, with Google. It's It's gone up a nice amount and also Meta, actually, which we picked a, a few, well, about a year ago now. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit wary. I'm, I might actually come out of a partial position on, on both of those. Because like you say, I'm a bit worried that it's kind of shot up a bit too quickly, although it was coming you know up. What, you know what the thing is, though? I, I don't disagree with either of you, but I think, you know, when Warren Buffett for many, many years didn't invest in tech, did he? And then it was Apple that really turned him. Mm. And the reality is, why did it turn him? Because they were just making so much money, right? They were just pr- absolutely printing. And that's what's, you know, quite scary, but also somewhat justified about these tech companies. Not only are they still growing, but they are printing. Shed loads of cash, yeah. I mean, my pick last time was Glencore, the mining stock, which has gone up a couple of percent. But like Manish has said, really, I think they did really well when we picked Antofagasta, which was, again, last year, which shot up kind of 50%, 60%. Again, I think Manish is absolutely right in how things are turning. And I think that's going to be kind of shown in my pick, certainly. So shall we get to our picks for this quarter? Who, any Anyone want to go first? I'll go quite happily. Go on. So I've chosen emphasis this quarter, and it was it, there was a, a few different areas and a few different things I wanted to cover. And I don't normally like individual stocks too much. I'm much more of a, a sort of tracker or a uh, a much sort of a tracker player. I like, I like to try and practice what I preach, right? That's the thing. But they do look like pretty good value. They've had a bit of a shake up of the C suite. The share price has really suffered over the last sort of 
couple of years. They're, they're a bit of a low ebb, um, but ultimately they're still putting money on the table and earnings on the table. So, Could they, you explain they, what they do? Oh, sorry, it's a big Indian tech consultancy company. So an awful lot of revenue from consultancy around the world, but they do all sorts of business consultancy. It's just they're probably best known for IT consulting, really. And they also do some outsourcing stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think there's a good time. I mean, they're, they're a good chunk down on where the share price has been. They're nearly sort of 35 something odd percent down on where the share price has been. And also, I wanted some exposure, and I, I do want some exposure exposure going forward to India in general, because I think over the medium term, if you're not in, you're going to miss out on so yeah. I did consider, I know you said about an ETF when we discussed yesterday, and I, I think there's a really good shout for that. So we might be scrambling over that one next time. But for this time, I thought, you know what? I was inspired by you picking companies like Meta, and I thought, you know what? I'll do a rod here. I'll try and do a rod, and I'll, I'll pick it for this. I am, um, I really want, so I have an investment in a Indian ETF as well. And I really want to put more in. And over the last few months, I just haven't been able to justify it because I still feel the price has gone up a bit too much. Although I think the general long-term direction is, as you say, going up. I'm just not sure about... What's the, what's the ticker for Infosys? Is it IN... INFY is the NYSE ticker. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Because they've got, I mean, they've got a crazy amount of staff, don't they? It's kind of hundreds of thousands of staff kind of, they get people in to do all the kind of tracking of other firms. What are some of the stats I had to look up here? Yeah. They spend a huge amount on kind of cloud, AI, cybersecurity is the other big one that seems to make quite a bit of profit for them. You know me though, Rod, I'm a bit of a sucker for things like ratios and their PE is good at the moment in comparison to a market which does have some pretty salty PEs because of yeah what's been going on in the AI space and everything else, you know. So there's a bit of that in there as well for me. What is the PE for it at the moment, you know? About 2022, was it, when I looked? Something like that. But that for me, I just find that it's a consulting firm. It's not a tech firm. And I I still think that's quite a high PE looking at it. I don't know. I mean, how do you justify that? I think it's consulting on tech. So I, I kind of... <laughs> that's the thing. There's the margins on there. Yeah, okay. Man, sorry, I, used to, I used to follow... Oh, I sorry, used to follow Infosys a, a few years ago. I haven't looked at it for a while. And its PE used to be a lot higher. So, you know, because it's growing, right? So you can attach a high PE to high growth companies. Sure. So it's, it, you know, Adam's right. It has, look. it looks cheaper than it used to look. I don't know the story behind it, but it's certainly showing more value than it used to look before. Mm. It's mostly been trouble at the top is, mm. the, is the, the party line anyway, let's say. And there's been a few heads rolling and a bit of a chop and a change. And uh the market's reacted a bit like the new football manager sort of bounce effect. So I'm kind of, there's a little bit of piggybacking on the back of that and it's given me some exposure that I want. It's kind of a bit of a cake and eat it pick, really. Because I'm looking at kind of some of these fair value kind of forecasts that you get from various kind of people that look at, on average, it looks like they expect an 18% return looking at the fair value. So it's underpriced a bit is, is what the consensus seems to be. But how... How useful they are, you never really know. I mean, it's normally done 
with this growth stuff, it's kind of uh, typically they might use a kind of discounted cash flow and look at the growth and give a, a rate of growth that they think is fair, but it's just based on huge amounts of assumptions, really. So you do need to be a bit careful on that. Agreed. Okay. Any, what do you think the biggest weakness there is? What's the biggest kind of risk to this? Well, I think you touched on something really important, which is large headcount. And ultimately, when you're in a sort of wage price pull style environment, then ultimately, the, you know, the, um, the recruitment issues in the UK or the US are not only in the UK and the US at the moment. They are global. When you've got a very fast growing population, I'm expecting India in, in some ways to mirror a lot of what China's done in terms of the creation of a middle class. And ultimately, that is going to drag yeah. that cost of that big headcount forward. So they've got the the right kind of numbers in terms of the population, average age, kind of the growing kind of more people coming to working age and that sort of thing versus China, where you've got or well, and to be honest, most of the West, which is the opposite, most people kind of coming towards retirement age, really, and, and not. So, yeah, it's definitely got that that thing on the side. OK, great. Well, Manish, look, I think your pick seems to flow nicely from that. Do you want to? Do you want to go from there then? Yeah. Well, when we were chatting yesterday, I was very much in two minds between UK REITs and emerging markets, and so it was a close call. But yeah, I, I went for emerging markets in in the end because you know, so this is an emerging markets ETF. All of the emerging markets, E sorry, E M I M is the ticker. So it's a global emerging markets fund. Most investors, most in institutional investors around the world really hate EM now, EM, and because China contains a lot of risk. Eastern Europe contains a lot of risk for obvious reasons with what's going on with Russia. And South America is the other region, which again contains a bit of risk along, you know, with commodities and everything. So in a way, it's a neglected space. And Valuations reflect that. So it's a bit of a dark horse play, I'll be honest. And it's a bit of a high risk one because it could go either way. But just because it's been neglected, people haven't really paid much attention to emerging markets. Valuations are 11, 12 times earnings on a PE basis. You get a dividend yield of around 3%, which is okay, right? It's, it's, not, it's not that bad. But the important thing is emerging markets are pretty dominated by China. And you know, and what's going on in China right now, they're easing policy a bit, they've just reduced interest rates. So at the margins, it might look like China's turning the corner. You know, you can never tell in China, right? You, the visibility is really low, the transparency, you don't really know what they're up to. But I just think as a, as a, as a punt, as a bit of a gamble, you know, emerging markets, they've only done two or 3% this year. So they've lagged behind the US. So I think from that perspective, it's probably worth a trade for the next quarter and see how it goes. So that's my reasoning behind emerging markets. And on that China front, I mean, there was a massive expectation that China reopening it was going to kind of shoot up. I certainly bought some of kind of some Chinese ETFs as well. And um, and they haven't performed. So do you think it's still, I, well, I guess from what you just said, do you think it's still to come from actually not just the opening up? I just want to know why hasn't it happened because it's opened up? What stopped yeah. it? I think um, that whilst they've opened up, all the domestic policy has still been very tight. So they've kept interest rates pretty high. They've kept all the regulations up there as well. So they 
you know, there's been in the last few years, it's not been very business friendly to be involved in China. So, you know, that's probably why that's the bigger concern for investors, you know, that, you know, policy is still very tight. And that overshadows the opening up, I think, you know, which has been uh, on the back burner. So, yeah, I think right now, if China continues to reduce rates and, you know, t- loosens its policy, I think people will pay more attention to China. So, you know, it's it's always a long-term play, right? You know, we, we know that. And India is also a long-term. All of these emerging markets are long-term plays. Although, you know, we, we think the population is good and the growth levels are good. It's not always a slam dunk um, in terms of how they perform. They can go through long periods of underperformance even though the fundamentals look quite good. But yeah, I think this is for for me, it's a bit of a short-term trade for me. Okay, interesting. Okay, just on kind of this whole thing of buying ETS, buying indexes versus buying single stocks, I, I saw some interesting stats that I thought I'd, I'd read out. So 4% of stocks accounted for all the gains in the US market since 1926. But just four percent of stocks, which is crazy. Two point four percent of stocks drove all the gains in the global market since nineteen ninety, and one point four percent of stocks drove all the gains in markets outside the US. And it's kind of like that whole Warren Buffett thing of him always saying only 12 decisions accounted for all the growth at Berkshire since 1965. I think there's a kind of good lesson here that in indexes, a stock, there's there's no limit to how high it can go, but there is a limit to how low it can go. It can go to zero. And so you can lose everything. So that's the difference with, if you're buying an index, you've got a bigger chance of getting that 4% in your portfolio. Mm. Whereas if you're buying a single stock, you really are risking a bit more as well. So I just thought that was really interesting to go into. Yeah. Um, Manish is a big believer in kind of buying ETFs and and, uh, and and I have been buying kind of more single stocks recently, but I totally kind of I totally buy into what you say. The way indexes work is because what it's called survival bias. Yeah. And what indexes do is they end up holding on to the best performing companies. And if a company goes bust and it goes to zero, it will just be kicked out of the index. So you're automatically always buying the most successful companies anyway. So so it really works. And I I always remember the quote from uh, John Bogle, the guy who founded Vanguard. And he said, um, don't just look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the whole haystack, which is what you're doing when you're buying the whole index. So, So it really works. Absolutely. So with that in mind... I have actually gone for a single stock again, <laughs> but it is a growth stock, which again is not typical of what I have been kind of looking at in the last couple of last couple of quarters. And this one is Agilon Health with the ticker AGL. This company is really kind of like a platform in the US that puts physicians, elderly people together with the recent changes in the healthcare system. And the idea behind it is it enables the physicians to work on longer term care rather than what's happened in the past, looking at just volume of patients to get the insurance through and short term kind of uh, care needs. 
And it was started in 2016. It went public in 2021 on the New York Stock Exchange. It has, in the last year, grown by 78%, which is pretty big. It is, however, still not profitable. It's not making a profit yet, but it's added about 360,000 users in the past, I think, 24 months. That's It's got big expectations to grow a lot more. It shares are down by about 13%. It's expected profit for the next year is expected to grow by 58%, which will put it into profitability. So, yeah, it's a big growth one. Looking again at what I was kind of poo-pooing earlier on about discounted cash flows and looking at growth rates. But if you do that, I've looked at kind of several different analysts' view, and they range as a fair value for the stock to be at between $22 and $33, currently trading at 16 and a half. So whatever way you look at it, it, it does seem kind of on the whole to be uh, underpriced there. And I think the way things are going over in the US with the healthcare system and having this Medicare, which is really what this is kind of founded on, is the whole Medicare principle. I just think it seems to be a bit of a winner at the moment. I think the risks to it are that it's not profitable. It's got in this market, obviously, it's that's a concern because should you be waiting till it starts to actually make a profit before jumping in? Because there are some other competitors that do make a profit, but although they're not growing nearly at the same rate, its revenues and cash flow are covering the debt quite nicely. It's not got a huge amount of debt, so its financial position is pretty good. Yeah, so that's kind of why why I've gone for that one. Any any kind of thoughts or, or concerns? I was just taking a look at the financial. So yeah, when when a company's not making profits, it's kind of difficult to value because it doesn't have a yeah. price earnings ratio, but you can use other things like price to sales and but you know, just looking at its revenues, it's been growing revenues by 60-70% year on year since 2019. So, you know, that the trajectory looks pretty good. And yeah, I mean, just looking at the some of the ratios, so you've got you know, price to sales ratio of 2.2. So it's not especially expensive from that point of view. I think the the key thing is, will it grow its profits, you know, continue to grow its profits sure. in line with what the expectations are? So that's going to be the key thing. It does, like a good theme, though. it does have quite, I mean, the, the market expectations are quite big for it. So it would need to perform at the higher end of that in order to get it. But I'm not really seeing much reason why it wouldn't at the moment. One other concern might be the margin that it's making, the profit margin, which they are they have started reducing costs down. So that's starting to look better now. But obviously, they'd want to do that a bit more to make that margin a bit healthier. But yeah, like you say, it's it's certainly growing and year on year and at a decent pace and in the right direction. So it's expected to start making profits from 2024. So that will be the key thing. If it can turn into, you know, profitability then or sooner, then the share price will like that. If it continues to delay its loss making, then maybe, you know, that won't be so good. So that's going to be the key thing, I think. Yeah. I think it's, it's sort of small cap growth, isn't it? So you want a a pretty juicy return here for getting involved in it. So I think you, you've kind of nailed where the where the risks are with it. It looks cheap on paper, so I see why you've done it. Yeah, and I, I love a bit of value, you know that. So uh, 
deep value in terms of the price, maybe. And like you said, I think it'll work or it won't. It's also got the best ticker symbol in the world because those are my initials. So I, I did like that quite a lot. <laughs> Reason to buy it there. Sure. <laughs> That's why he chose it. Yep. So look, we've we had a chat before coming online and we all all kind of said, look, what we were thinking about doing. And, and actually it seemed like this uh, quarter, we all found it quite difficult to pick because there were a few kind of things that we were thinking about. I know we talked about India. One of the other things that we were all kind of looking at thinking they seem to be quite underpriced or quite decent value at the moment is UK REITs. Manish, do you want to kind of run through a little bit about what's going on with the UK REITs, why you feel that price quite nicely? Yeah, so this is more of a, a value play. Like we've been talking about value a lot today. So yeah, UK REITs are essentially their own property, right? And all of the um, all of the news about UK inflation remaining sticky, UK interest rates going up has really affected UK property. And REITs have, you know, they, they had a good start to the year and then they've just come all the way back down to where they started at the end of last year. And I think there's a deep, there's deep value there. So, you know, you get with a lot of these dividend, a lot of these REITs, you get anywhere between four to 10% dividend yields. You know, as you know, REITs can come in all shapes and sizes and different sectors, office, retail, industrial, but, but they are starting to show value because they're very sensitive to interest rates. So when interest rates go up, the valuations inside these REITs suffer. And I think we've got to a point now where there's maximum bearishness around interest rates and inflation in the UK. They're showing value. Some of them are trading on 30, 40 percent discount to their NAV. And you can argue that, that NAV has got some, you know, downside expected in that. But I still think there is a decent discount to their NAVs. And you get dividend yields of, you know, four or five percent. So that's why, you know, that, that's why I think they look interesting. Technically, if you look at some of them, they're up, you know, back at sort of support levels, which we saw about six months ago. So which they bounced off those levels. So, you know, it kind of goes goes to make for a decent value pick, I think, for the next three to six months. I think all of that makes an absolute ton of sense, right? And I think at a really simple level, this is a bit of an interest rate bet, isn't it, really? I think the assembled company are maybe saying that interest rates, in terms of, not in terms of the base rate, but in terms of where the bond yields are at the moment, they look historically expensive. This probably won't last for a prolonged period of time because as soon as the market gets wind that inflation is over the hill slightly, if you compare the UK to the US in terms of the bond yields at the moment, the US is kind of over its wobble and bonds are sort of performing reasonably. And I think there's a, a big driver in that, even though not all REITs have got huge amounts of, of gearing necessarily, but it affects the pricing at which people want to be achieving those sort of dividend yields that, that Manish was talking about. And I think timing's good, you know, timing's good on this stuff, in my opinion. Hello, everyone. I, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? 
Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between six and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again, for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in, other, in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do, provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate. The terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. I think one of the things we should probably get into is how to value a REIT because Manish mentioned kind of the net asset value, which is essentially kind of underlying assets are, are worth. You've got to sometimes take this with a bit of a pinch of salt because when you can, if you look at the REIT, go into the kind of prospective pack and, and have a real look at how they do this because, I mean, there's some... There's some dodgy old stuff out there sometimes as to how they value these. I remember looking a while ago at BlackRock, one of BlackRock's REITs, and how they calculated the net asset value was there was nothing, there was no science behind it, no data led it. It just it was a number plucked out of thin air, which just seemed utterly mad because they would then promote that it's trading, but the share price is trading below its net asset value without actually saying, and we there's no kind of there's no reasoning behind net asset value so you do need to be a little bit careful i think one of the other things is looking at the adam you mentioned the debt levels so what are the loan to values how have they hedged their um, the interest rates are they fixed what percentage of their debt is fixed so i mean we interviewed uh, for the supermarket REIT on here i don't know six months ago probably or, or Ben, who's Ben Green, who's the head of Atrato, who, which is the the manager for for that REIT, and and it, it was just so interesting, kind of looking actually how how you look at the debt. So they, I think, had thirty percent loan to value, which they had now fixed a hundred percent of, and the average length of that fix was four and a half years, and that price that they were paying on average was about two point eight percent. So when you start to look at that, kind of gives you right, that's a value for the next five years. What's going to happen after five years? 
on that 30% of debt is one question to kind of ask. So all that debt then become to. And then it's also about looking at, well, what are the underlying leases? So there it's all about supermarket and grocery. We've seen huge issues in the news about food price inflation, et cetera. But what does that actually do to the to the supermarket lease? I mean, that's still going up every, on the lease terms, on the 20 year term. It's got probably, it's, I think, cap and collar, most of them at two and four percent. What's what is the cost of the lease to the supermarket in relation to their revenue? We all know supermarkets have quite tight margins. Is it something like between two and four percent of their revenues were spent on the lease? Which I mean doesn't seem much. Tesco's was two, I think on average they were four. Four can seem to be quite high, but over the last year's inflation, especially with food price inflation, a lot of the income that they've been generating and a lot of the revenue means actually that that lease amount is a much lower percentage of their total revenue. So things like that are interesting. Like you can look at office REITs. And again, it's very specific about what type of offices you're looking at. Are you looking at central London or are you looking at sort of prime grade A or regional offices? Like Adam has you and I know we, we own a regional office and it's doing pretty well at the moment. Would I want to be owning a prime London office at the moment? Hell no. So I think, again, it's about the underlying assets in those REITs and what are they? Like industrial, we know, is doing well. And also with um, with the dividends, that's not just about the yield that they're making. So I think people need to be a bit careful about looking at dividends as well because you can pay a dividend if you're making profit and, and obviously if you've got the cash there to do it, but yields can be slightly different. So if you might think, why would someone buy something with a 4% yield when <laughs> the five-year guilt is 4.8, for example, but if actually in that lease every year it's going up by 2%, what you see is at the end of your, your five-year guilt, you just get your capital back and then you've got the 4.8% every year. If, however, it's in this in this re and that and that yields happening but it's going up every year your total returns end up being far greater and then you've got to look at cap rates and how that's affected so i think reits are really really interesting now i did invest a bit in super and it's and it's plummeted down and i i thought it was good value then and i didn't i couldn't really justify the drop in the share price looking at all this stuff so I have gone back in and bought a bit more because I just think, look, I thought it was good value then. I think it's great value now. I mean, it's down by kind of 30% over the last five years, which I don't, I just don't think, I, I don't see why it should be. However, I, think, I think all of all of these are very, they are actual valuations. They're, cap, they're you know, the overall bricks and mortar valuations are very sensitive to bond yields and interest rates. And since then, you know, bond yields have, gone up a fair bit so there is that sensitivity but yeah look you have to ask yourself to how to what extent is all of that priced in now right because we all know bond deals have been going up we can see that but how much more will they go up right and you know if we think inflation you know unless you expect inflation to kind of have another huge spike upwards and then just stay there for a considerable period of time you can argue some of these valuations are kind of already factoring in a fair bit. Absolutely. I mean, um, on those bonds, bond I think that's absolutely fair. But for a REIT that's got 30% loan to value, I just don't I don't think that drop is in any way justifiable 
to what is actually exposed in the REIT yeah. to those bond yields. From a cash flow point of view. It's not no. the cost of the debt thing, is it, managed, though, really? It's yeah. more the risk-free rate of return. Yeah, yeah. Good. From yeah, a cash flow point of view, it might be immune, but from an overall discounted valuation point of view, it, it affects all the properties. That's fair, yeah. 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 yeah, so I guess what you're saying is, look, you've got to look at it against the competition as well, Yeah, which essentially is the risk-free rate and then other other real estate that's, that's rented out on, on those kind of commercial leases as well. Yeah, yeah, because if one day it stopped being a supermarket, right, it, would, it could have potentially other uses and it would still have a sort of property valuation of some sort, which yeah. is going to be determined by bond yields. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I, I like the supermarket because I just see it as more infrastructure rather than kind of because it's food. It's, yeah. Everyone needs it. <laughs> if it's not um, then, yeah, it might not be Sainsbury's, but look, if little come and do it, it's, it's the same thing. So owning yeah. that building, I think, is is good. I don't I don't see kind of the way in which we buy food necessarily changing massively over the next sort of 20 years. The, the other thing I would say is if people are interested in REITs, so you can buy individual REITs and you can go to, there's a really useful website called um, reitcomparison.co.uk and it will just give you a list of all the REITs listed in the UK. So that You have everything there, you have all the dividend yields on there as well. Just a word of caution, as you were mentioning earlier, Rod, you know, dividends can be a little bit misleading. So you might find on this list dividends of 10, 12, 15 percent even. But just take that with a pinch of salt, because, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it sometimes is. So if you have double digit dividend yields, that normally means that there is a good chance of you know, those dividends being cut. So just like dividends can be raised some REITs can cut their dividends. So just be a bit careful. But that's a good good website to start off with. Brilliant. And then, look, are there any other kind of themes then that we that investors should be looking at where they want to kind of hang on the coattails? I mean, dare I say it, is Bitcoin due for another kind of increase? Are we looking at as gold kind of broken through? Do we still think actually equities over the long term are going to do well? Commodities seem to have kind of dropped off. Do we think they're kind of they've had their day now? They, there was a big spike, well, two years ago now. I was expecting, to be honest, a bit a bit of a another spike to come up in commodities based on kind of the inflation and what's happened over the last couple of months, but it it hasn't seemed to. I don't know. Should we still be hanging in there on them, or do you think it's time to get rid of them? On well, on commodities. Look, we, you know, commodities tend to do quite well in the early stages of inflation. And when inflation is kind of rolling over, there's the, that correlation breaks down a bit. I think one of the big things is linkage with dollar with the dollar. So if the dollar is strong, commodities tend to drop off and, and vice versa. So if you have a view on the dollar, which I don't really have a strong view, then you might make a case for commodities. The other thing is China. So if China starts growing again, um, which I doubt, but if it starts growing, you know, accelerating its growth, that's always going to be a big driver for commodities as well. So I, I don't know. I think right now the oil price is kind of doing okay, but there's some supply issues going on and everything. So there's, it's not clear cut on commodities. I would just say in general, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan of equities in the long term. I just think, you know, when we're based in the in the UK, we, we are bombarded by news about inflation, interest rates in the UK. But what really drives equities around the world is what's happening to US inflation, US interest rates, because that sets the tone for the rest of the world. So when we're looking at equities, 
you know, just be guided by what's happening in the US, I would say. And that's the important distinction. So US inflation and rates affects global stock markets and UK inflation and rates really has an impact on UK property. So, you know, that's the distinction I would make. Brilliant. Adam, any any comments on those? Sorry, I was sitting on mute. My computer started overheating. So that was the uh, the overall. Was, I think is that when I mentioned Bitcoin? I think, <laughs> quite possibly. I think I think Manish has nailed a lot there. Into I mean, like him, I don't really have a. I had a fairly strong view on the dollar when the dollar index was up at like one fourteen, but now sort of back down in the doldrums near a hundred. It's kind of difficult to have a strong view either way. I think commodities you can kind of pick through, so you can look at and, and there's always the next big material, isn't there? Really, you know, and that and that's the thing. And there's you know, you listen to the bulls talk and they'll tell you there's there's just vast vast shortages of. Nearly all of the anything that's to do with anything with a chip or a, an electric car or, or whatever, and all of those things. But you know, I heard Musk, I've not heard him talk about it at any length, but he just sort of, when when Elon's asked about this stuff, he just said that there's enough of this stuff, don't worry about it, we're going to sort it. Presumably, he's thinking some of it's still coming from space or whatever he's uh, whatever he's thinking. But you've got a lot of um, you know, a lot of things that have changed in terms of their their, their utility value. So you've got a lot of old mines that maybe are going to yield stuff that's now much more important than it used to be. And it's then I know there's some some controversy at the moment. They're talking about mining the seabed for for certain materials. I still quite like commodities, whilst I accept what Manish says is is correct. And I do think the inflation wave, you know, peak wise, the, largely a lot of the world is over. And the UK is maybe at the top of it if we're calling, if we're measuring it by core inflation. But a lot of the world has still got a lot of core to to deal with, and there's a, a big a big sting in the tail there. Yeah, crypto wise, I I tend to uh, not take too much of a position because I, I did notice not that it's crypto, it's NFTs, but I did notice that a board ape that I think Beaver had paid 1.6 million for is now valued at 50k. And it did make me think about the people who were buying them at the top and sort of saying they were the next big thing. And there was a little bit of that in the property arena. Unfortunately, I hope people didn't lose their shirts too too much. But, you know, I like quite boring. I'm quite contrarian. I really love Manific this quarter because, you know, the contrarian side of it really appeals to me. But ultimately, I, I tend to stick to the lower risk yielding stuff. That's why I'm so far out of my comfort zone with a single stock pick, Rod, really. But great. Great efforts from, from everyone, I think, this quarter. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for joining us again. And, uh, yeah, until next quarter, so three months, and we'll, we'll see how we're doing. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye.